going on, everybody? 360 Digital Closing Bell here. I am your humble, humble correspondent, Michael Tanner, here for our Week Ahead podcast here on this beautiful Monday, June 22nd, 2020, excuse me, for episode number 27. As always, I'm joined by the executive producer of the show, the publisher and director of the world's greatest website, oilandgas360.com, Stuart Turley. How you doing, my man? I'm doing fantastic. It is a Monday, and we're going to have a busy week. We have a pretty busy week. We're actually recording this for the first time on a Monday morning. Time stands at about 7.53 a.m., so markets are open. Oil's trading about 39.80, so a little off the open last night. But we have a wild show for you guys lined up. We're going to talk to you, obviously, about the crude oil levels, commitment to traders, checking with the 360 official, non-official fund, and sort of dive into to my shale 1.0 thoughts for the open here. But before we do that, please, guys, if you are working in an executive in the oil and gas field and you are not asking yourself what is social risk for the energy sector you're you're really doing yourself and your company and specifically your shareholders a disservice it's not just community opposition to development projects it's everything from the success of the divest from fossil fuels movement to investor engagement on your esg programs to individual states setting extremely ambiguous climate and decarbonization agendas social risk seems like it's everywhere now moving fast and multiplying like zombies and and, and if you know anything if you played any sort of call of duty you know zombies Boom! Pop out of nowhere. You should please check out Adam at Teen Energy. They are the leading consultancy helping oil and gas companies prepare for all of this social risk. They're led by Tisha Schuler, who's the former CEO of the Colorado Oil and Gas Association. Koga, ever heard of it? Adam at Teen Energy guides energy companies like yours to help explore your exposure to social risk, your options, response, how your peer companies are responding, and the tremendous opportunities social risk can actually create for your business. You should check out everything Adam at Teen Energy, www.energythinks.com. You can also read Tisha weekly emails where she's keeping everyone updated on what's on the horizon for the oil and gas sector. Remember, your competitors are reading that newsletter, so you need to be reading it. Also check out her podcast, Energy Thinks Podcast by Tisha Shuler. Again, everything she you can find, just Google Energy Thinks. That's her tagline. Also, guys, just please subscribe to this show, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. Subscribe, resubscribe, download all the shows, undownload them, re-download them again. Do whatever makes the algorithm go nuts. We really appreciate all the support we've had, and we are fired up. You can also check this out on YouTube. You can check out all things Oil & Gas 360 on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. We are on every social. We're posting every single day. We've seen some tremendous engagement over the past month in terms of an increase, so we really appreciate everybody who has interacted with us. You can also check out all of Entercom, Oil & Gas 360. um, excuse me, on Twitter, LinkedIn, all of the socials. Check out the Oil & Gas 360 News Desk, which is on the world's greatest website, oilandgas360.com. I'm telling you, it's the one-stop shop for all of your energy information. I just put my weekly charts up there. We have a running news feed. You can check out all of the previous shows, which has the daily digital ticker shows that we do. They're like 10 minutes. We go live on YouTube every single day for 10 minutes, bringing you information about what's going on in the market. So we appreciate everybody who watches that. You should also listen to the Energy 360 interview podcast by Intercom, which is basically the best place for energy thought leadership. I wouldn't, I mean, the, the amount of get that I'm talking, the quality of guests that they've been getting are unbelievable. And we have a powerhouse interview that's dropping tomorrow. Uh, that is right, Michael. Uh, we have Rob, uh, C, uh, president and COO of Goodrich Petroleum. And I think we got another one on Wednesday. Uh, Jeffrey Can, he's an author. Uh, and Canadian. So we love our Canadian brethren. 
No, dude, I, I thought you said comedian for a second. I was like, oh, interesting. I didn't. I, I thought he was an author of a digital technology book, but then I put two and two together with Canadians. We love our friends north of the border. Um, Jeffrey Cam wrote Bits, Bites, and Barrels. It's a great book. You can also check out his digital technology training course on Udemy. But Rob Goodrich, I mean, the, the, the interview with, with the drops tomorrow with Rob Goodrich of Goodrich Room, who's the president and COO. I mean, if you want, if you want to know sort of what just kind of a high level what an executive thinks about maybe some of the top top things going on in his business please 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 check out this interview it'll be available probably about noon tomorrow i'd say maybe uh, mountain standard time and you can check it out on all the platforms and the world's greatest website oilandgas360.com enough with the clerical work um you know i i you know you know if if you're looking at the charts this week i'm definitely bearish on oil but we'll get into that you know before i sort of tell you why maybe i'm bearish i i just need to I've been seeing a lot of articles that get drop, and if you spent any time on Twitter or LinkedIn in the oil and gas sector, I, I think you're you're beginning to hear what's sort of called the end of shale 1.0 and the beginning of of, of shale 2.0. And, you know, as if, if we've covered on this podcast many times, you know, there's been there were problems with shale before COVID, and COVID just exacerbated them. If they were small to medium issues, now this price collapse due to this absolute demand destruction from everybody staying home exacerbated the problem and now they are large problems and we've seen a record number of chapter 11 it's pretty easy to see how in the next six to nine months there's going to be a tremendous period of change within oil and gas and specifically where capital is going to be spent and where it's not going to spend and then if you've listened to the show at all you know exactly where we think capital is going to be spent esg and 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 low cost energy sources. So I mean, we're not hiding where we think the capital is going to be spent. But even if even if we, we even if we don't think even if we or leave that up to chance, point is capital is going to be spent differently than it was spent pre COVID. Whether or not it ends up being spent on ESG and all of this stuff that that maybe we lean towards, it doesn't matter. And and, and so because of this change and because of this sort of death, and I'm doing that in quotes of, of Shell 1.0, you're seeing the obituaries being written right now, and, and the numerous articles, Wall Street Journal, um, Reuters, I mean, Bloomberg Terminals, lighting up with stories of people writing the happiest obituaries for Share 1.0, because, I mean, by and large, the, the their thesis is the exact same. There's no, there's, there's no, dis, there, there's no multiple theory. The, the only theory about why Shell, or, or not theory, but the only reason why these guys are happy is because, in large part, Shell 1 was seen by them as a capital destructor as a whole. And, I think that was the sentiment, you know, I think if you asked, if you pulled the, the industry two, three years ago, maybe it was a, a small fraction, maybe 10 to 20% of the people who would have held that point of view. I think the closer and closer we got to 2020, I think the number increased till I think now with COVID, people now being inside and sort of being exposed to, I mean, the internet is what made, made these people aware of, of maybe what was going on. I think that, I, I, I think the, the, the segment of, of the oil and gas industry, which is happy to see the, 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 the shale 1.0 version of the way it's in business, I think they're excited to see it go bust, caving in on itself, come back and rebrand itself. Because as they say, by and large, it's sort of been a capital destructor, but if, again, if you follow the show, you know I'm a contrarian. I, people have been calling $4 gasoline next year. I don't know about that. I'm not sure if gas is, you know, I'm just, I tend to take the opposite view because it's just sort of how I was bred. So I'm beginning to see the this ball. I mean, think about the Newton balls. They tink, 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 tink. I think they're swinging way far into this happy obituary shale 1.0 is dead when, and I think we're beginning to and miss really what, Really, 1.0 did for 
not just the oil and gas industry, but the economy as a whole. And I think that's the distinction that I think these people are forgetting to make is they're focusing too much on just the oil and gas industry, which obviously we are, we were in the oil and gas industry, but sometimes you have to take a step back and take a look at a macro view of things. And so I think before we sort of I dive into that a little more, I think it's helpful to define these terms because maybe you don't know what shale 1.0 and shale 2.0 is. And, and to be honest, they're subjective terms. So that's why I want to go over them because I want you to know what I'm thinking when I say these terms. So when I talk about shale 1.0, I'm talking about 2008 to 2020 or specifically COVID. And you can even split those up and, and when we dive into shale 1.0, I'm going to split them up into two halves. But really, it was defined by three things. Fracking unlocking of places like the Bakken, the Haynesville, which then led to an insane gas boom. I think, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, Stu, if you had to pick three sort of overarching themes besides maybe capital destruction or just mass, I think, you know, fracking, the unlocking of places like the Bakken that led to this huge gas boom. I think those are the overarching stories and, in that, well, you know, 10 to 12 years. You bet. And the third one? the U.S. becoming a world power by exporting. So I think we will continue that in the natural gas space with LNG still uh, pounding out uh, very large exports. But the world yeah. power was probably number three. Yeah, and, and, and you bring up a good point because, you know, in that time period, we became not energy independent, but we became the one of the world's largest producers. So, again, but that was because of fracking. So, that's why I put fracking sort of as the first thing because that is sort of what, what led to a lot of this. And, and, and shale 2.0, excuse me, well, that's just COVID to, eh, I don't really know. Who knows? Because, you know, there are a lot of theories out there right now about what shale 2.0 is going to look like, but they're just theories right now. I mean... You know, I, I think I think the consensus is offshore and tier one Permian might be the only profitable fields. You know, I know we, you know, we had Entercom oil and gas. We're really big on capital is probably only going to be spent on things that are sustainable, have an ESG plan, and that fit this this entire corporate social governance policy that is being led by the large investment banks and th where the capital comes from. But honestly, I I don't really want to discuss where Shell 2.0 is going to go because. You know, pardon my French, but it's just going to be a pissing match. Nobody really knows. You know, it's just, it's, this is what I think. This is what you think. I, it's hard to say. Now, we, we can say, man, maybe it's going to be this. Maybe it's going to be that. But it's, it's, too, it's too much in theory land for me to, for, I think, for us to talk about right now. And, and, and but why I want to make this distinction is because I think we're seeing Shell 1.0 get a continual bad rap. And so going back to one point, you know, I mentioned it's 2008 to 2020. I think you can chop that in half. And what I would encourage you to do while you're listening to this, I will make sure to post the chart onto the show. I would go to Trading View, I would load up a new chart, and I would plot three lines. I would search, I would, I would plot XOP, which is the SPDR section, the, the S&P 500 energy section. I would plot the S&P 500 as a total index, and I would plot crude oil price. I would throw the XOP and the S&P 500 on the right axis, right axis, change it to a percentage, so you can kind of see the percent increase and decrease. I would throw crude oil on the left side and make it, you know, make your axis 10 to 150. Yeah, I, yeah, because you want to make sure you get it all. And I would do about a five-year time frame, so you can get 2008, uh, and, or I'd go the 12-year time frame, 2008, 2020, you're probably going to go out through a week time frame, and I'd change them all the lines. So I will throw my chart up there, but I'd recommend building it because that's sort of how you figure out how all this stuff works. So if you're looking at a chart, I always say oil price charts read like a history book. 
let's just roll through the pricing and we can figure out obviously in 2008 oil's 148 dollars and that's right before the crash of um or that's a uh, right during the run-up of of excuse me, the financial crisis, and then boom, oil goes from $140 all the way down to $40 in basically a matter of months. It's like six months if you're looking at the chart. And then what does oil do? Oil recovers pretty nicely, and it goes from 30 to, by basically mid-2009, it's 70. Then it goes 80. Then it goes 90. And then all of a sudden, from a stretch between 2012 and mid-2014, oil's averaging 100 bucks. I mean, I was, I remember doing calculations and you could just average ah, just 100 buck oil it's just easy to do math that way because you could do the math in your head i mean that's an unbelievable amount of i mean you think about oil companies some oil companies make money now at 40 dollar oil imagine if oil was a hundred dollars what companies would be able to do in terms of you know maybe drilling some unprofitable things and all that jazz so it, from 2008 to 2014 we saw an unbelievable just sustainable in the price of oil everybody got rich i mean you know what industry was giving out six-figure gigs to people without high school diplomas you know who, who, who was doing that there's a few industries that'll do that right out the gate hey you want to go climb up a derrick and pull some pipe yeah we'll, we'll cut you a check you might have to work night shift but there's very few industries that were doing that so you know that period was wealth creation for a lot of people there was within within the industry and out of the industry when 2014, 2015 comes, and this is when the shift from fracking went from fracking oil to now let's go get gas. And the dynamics really change in the oil business. And, and this is when I think a lot of people, they hop on and, and start banging the D's on, on, on why companies like Chesapeake, Continental, why they destroyed the oil and gas business, because they did. They ramped up fracking, they ramped up production, drilled as much as they could and tanked oil price oil price went from a hundred dollars all the way down to 39 dollars now this was also due to some some uh set this was also due to another price war i mean you really want to talk about the amount of price wars we had going back so there was a coincidence of america and the united states was at peak production at the time in 2014 peak fracking peak rigs and all of a sudden there was a complete drop boom in the price of oil but what happened we continued to produce it didn't stop us we continued to produce continue to produce and from 2015 to 2020 oil price basically averaged like 45 bucks you look at a chart you can kind of chop and the and the xop underperformed 70 percent compared to zero percent of so if there were zero gains in the s p 500 over five years the xop lost 70% due to that with the S&P 500 basically being up 105% over that 12-year span. So I mean, you want to talk about an unbelievable spread between where oil companies performed and where the, and where the S&P 500. But what does that mean? So we've, we, we saw this complete destruction um, of, the, of the oil price. But we're producing at all-time highs and the economy is roaring and this is where i think these people who are writing the obituaries of shell 1.0 they, they stop it here they say oh prices were high price war came in saudi came in in 2014 and said no no we don't like this we want to gain back market share and they tanked the price well oil companies didn't turn the tap off if anything they turned it more they said well let's just well, the more we produce the more you know we'll just make that other we, we can now just pay for it we have to produce two barrels for every one barrel I mean, that was the thought process we can continue to do this as long as we just double our production well this led to one of the biggest increases 
in economic expansion in probably the United States history. I mean, outside of maybe the Roaring Twenties and and what happened post, um, maybe in, sometimes in the fifties, but in my lifetime, that this five year stretch from twenty fifteen really to the beginning of COVID has been one of the most largest economic expansions in terms of in the rest of the economy. And this is where I think people that are writing these obituaries are forgetting about it. Yes, the oil industry from 2014 to 2020 has basically not flipped its business strategy, even though the economics have completely flipped. But what it it did was we basically were subsidizing this economic expansion. We were continuing to produce through all of these low prices, through all these obituaries. Why? Energy prices were so low that allowed this expansion to happen. So these people that are, so, so I think there's, it's just this, it's, we're missing a piece of the puzzle. When, when, when this obituary is getting written and people are talking about the destruction was what the destruction from, we did not shift and we didn't lower production and we didn't balance it out because there were people arguing, there was a way, there was a way to get oil to 70 bucks if we just kept raining it down, but we didn't. And that caused this economic expansion and it's this double-edged sword. And I think as we look back in history, we're going to get a, better sense of this i think in the moment it stinks because maybe the oil industry is going through a tough time right now i mean there's a large number of other people unemployed and who are looking back and probably thinking man if they hadn't if they had just been a little more fiscally responsible these last five years i might still have a job yes it might be true but you also have to you know you also got to think about you know i mean and this goes back to supply chain i mean the economic expansion touches everything and when i mean economic expansion i mean you're paying less for groceries now you're paying, I mean, think about Amazon. How, why do you think Amazon is able to deliver things so cheaply? Yes, they've they've contracted with the postal service and they're screwing them out. But also, it's just cheap to transport things now. I mean, they can roll out their own, it, it, the energy and access to, to, to be able to economically expand absolutely increased during this time. And I think that's just the part that people are leaving out. And I want you to think about when you read these articles on death of shale, death of, you know, good for shale we need to move on and redo a business model well don't forget that the, probably the reason why we're standing here is because the fact that shit that you know guys like aubrey mcclennan subsidized the u.s economy and u.s energy prices for years i mean you want to think about i mean it's really true Stu. i mean companies like continental you know and, and these and these companies who are now maybe going bankrupt and who are now the darling of of of, of twitter for how to not run a company they legitimately subsidize low-cost energy and that's the part that's that, that, that people are forgetting. You bet. And uh, I think there's some real changes coming, Michael, and that is good management, good numbers. But those who cannot morph will die. And we've had on the, the show, there's what, 70 ballpark, um, you know, oil companies, and we're going to get down to 20. So it's going to be acquisitions, bankruptcies. But later on, Alaska, I put over the weekend, Alaska's coal producer, uh, Isabella Mines, expands into biomass. This is a perfect example of somebody that is morphing. And they're morphing into renewables, but they're yet very critical in the coal. Morphing. Another uh, oil field service up in Canada morphed into a uh, geological energy drilling company might yeah. drill for that so if you don't morph and you don't have esg you will not survive no and this isn't all to say that there's been 
the, the energy business has done everything right over the past five years. You bet. I just think that we're leaving out a big part of the story, which is the 90, you know, 90% of the economy that's not tied specifically to the energy business was completely subsidized by low cost energy provided by us. So it's you know, yeah, Michael, like everything. It's a mixed bag. Yeah, Michael, you and I have talked about a lot of the things coming around the corner and we're going to have some specials on those and all the impacting things of uh, the oil 2.0 as you've been talking about. I think you and I will be able to define it in better uh, ways uh, coming up in some of our specials. Oh, definitely. And I think as we move on, as we get more information, I mean, right now, like I said, it's all theories right now. And that's partly why we don't need to get into the into the pissing match right now. But as we, as we begin to flesh it out, I think we can sort of build an idea of what that looks like. Um, that's really all. I mean, I, I just needed to get that off my chest. It was killing me reading all these articles and, and nobody was talking about what happened to the rest, the other six sevenths of the economy due to that. So I just need to get, is there anything you want to, you need to say on that before we move on? Uh, we got the specials coming on, uh, but there's also a regulation that came out over the weekend, and that is uh, they've authorized widespread transport of LNG by rail. That is huge. Yeah. Uh, that is going to fix some of the Marcellus gas coming around. It might be able to affect some of the stuff and flaring in um, the Permian. Uh, it is huge. We might be able to import more from Canada. That's a game changer by rail. So anyway. Yeah, no, rail will be something that's definitely interesting that we're going to follow. Um, but I think it's time. Let's go ahead and just dive into the oil levels here for the week. As always, this segment is sponsored by Sandstone Capital Group. These guys do insanely good research and provide all of their levels from the Energy Glimpse Solution. Give them a call, 949-561-1818, or check them out, sandstonecg.com. I mean, really, the th there's two things I'm looking for uh, in just on the U.S. shale side this week, specifically you know, last week was debt, was or was bankruptcies, and when we were looking at what was going to happen, this week I, I I think it's production. I think we're going to start hearing drips of production coming back online. We've we've heard some squabbles. Continental's bringing back twenty five percent of their shut in production. Uh, we ran a story last week where ConocoPhillips is turning on all of their Alaska production. That's like five hundred thousand barrels they're bringing back online. Good for Alaska. They'll get some of those people back to work. But I think we're going to start seeing some of these numbers, and you know, I think the question is, is it too fast? Only time will tell. No one knows how the market, I think, is going to react right now. I mean, as we speak, oil's just spiked over $40. So, you know, we ran a story on Friday um, where, you know, small stripper operators, $5 change in the price of oil, 40 to 35 I mean, leads to basically 33% of a, of a credit draw on their RBL. So, I mean, you want to talk about the fine line that gets walked when you produce this stuff. Um, that's what we're leaving it. So if, if oil stays at $40 like it does and this becomes the new normal, yeah, I think you're going to see production come back on and I don't think it's going to be too fast. Um, but again, only time will tell. And, and I think that's going to, that's just going to lead into, and I don't know if this is going to be an issue maybe this week, but something to watch out is what does this mean for the refinery world? When we talked, we talked with Rob, uh, Rob McBride, who's the senior, like senior director of smart things at Enveris. Um, his big, you know, their big analysis was the reason why we saw wild price swings and why you saw some of these regions like the Bakken getting hit worse than others was not due to the upstream factors, but more to the downstream factors. And refineries have been the one taking, not the brunt of this, but have been basically the decision makers and everybody else has reacted around it. And, and we've been, I think we've been seeing some stories over the past three, four days of refineries beginning to turn back on, but shifting what they're actually producing. So it's going to be very interesting 
to see what happens with refineries. And as all this production comes back online, I think the refinery questions will be question and we're going to get i really want to, we need to get somebody from the refinery side to come on but we're going to talk with steven on friday and get a better idea of how this looks with the downstream especially if we see this production stuff coming back online i agree uh, i got some folks uh, that will get lined up excellent suggestion i love it what's on the international news desk for this week what are you watching for uh, this week um south uh australia uh kind of has some same problems of What's going on in uh, New York? You know, New York, uh, I don't want to pick on, get into political things, but it sure is fun to uh, poke at their energy uh, things. This is an excellent uh, opinion piece written by Tom Shetstone. Uh, the production of electricity by uh, renewables does have blackouts. It does not it's affected by the weather so that is a major issue in a, one of our biggest cities and one of our biggest states is going to match to the same problems of what australia is having until they start buying a large storage or they use natural gas it's going to be an issue that we're going to watch and uh south australia had a very good uh, article on that on the news desk so you know, watching that is going to be uh, quite outstanding. Uh, India uh, had the lowest uh, import of oil uh, since 2005. They wow. Are, they are gearing up their coal. The 41 that we ran uh, last week, the 41 new coal plants. Yep. And they've added. They now have six LNG ports. They're bringing in energy, and it's now turning not to be crude. Big, big uh, kind of way to hit that. So I'll be keep watching that. Thanks, Michael. Yeah, no, I think there's a lot of different stuff. Australia has been, you know, on the international side, has been seeing a, a lot of movement, and we, we've been covering a lot of stories um, from from that. And so it'll, we'll continue to follow that. I think as, as we look at the levels for the week, you know, I, I I sat down and created this overview document this morning. You know, time stands. It's like 8, 8.18 in the morning right now. So all markets are open. S&P 500 is actually up a little bit. So all markets up about a quarter percentage point. So that's good for the day. As always, natural gas flat. So we're not getting anything there on our 360 fund. But I was a little bearish. You know, I really, it's, it's when, when you look at price, at, you know, like I said, when I was putting the overview document together, I was a little bearish. I thought, you know, $40 cap maybe is... And honestly, as I'm just sitting here, you know, doing this podcast, as, 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 I'm, as I'm kind of just looking at the charts, when you look at price action, it's it's hard to be bearish because price action looks bullish. Now, the reason why I like forty dollars as a cap is because it just it's more of a structural top than it is a technical top. I just think in in terms of, of where the market, where I'm seeing the market go, I don't think any, I don't think forty forty, you know, I don't think forty five dollars is is going to happen this week. No, but I. I, I do on the chart that I published uh, to the oil and gas desk. I've got I've got a really nice long section from thirty eight to really thirty eight forty. So if you are you know while I might be a little bearish, maybe to end the week, I do think much like last week we might touch thirty eight. We might run back up to forty, and if we do see a depression, it might rip through. So if you are looking on the long side, I think what you can play right now is a pullback. I'd see I'd like to see it pull back a little bit, but you know. 
last week was was what you want to talk about a wild swing. If we're looking at straight up levels, I think the floor for this week, 35-35. I think the next level up, 36-78. 38-8-18, as I mentioned, that's my long pie. If, if I'm I'm looking, if 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 the if the charts look right and we're down in 38-18, it's a prime long position. I think 39-09 is another good level, 39-91. And then 40-25 is probably that largest volume top. But as we know, 40-56 is the actual top for last week. And, and we, that's the highest it's been pretty much since the since early March. So, like I said, it'll be very interesting. Um, it'll be very interesting. What happens. What's the Kreskin got for us? Kreskin, the amazing Kreskin. I think that you're going to see 42.50. And the reason I say that number is we are continuing to have demand pull. People will be excited because of COVID who? You said that. COVID demand is going to create that. Yeah, I was joking with with Stuart before we started recording. I went out this weekend and a COVID who? I mean, there was it was packed. I mean, you were waiting ten minutes just to get into restaurants. Breweries were packed. So I mean, yeah, it's COVID who? That's I think why I think you know. But that doesn't mean that there's you know with the you know the, these declines I think are going to play a little big game. But you're always but yeah. Old, I mean, Michael, Michael, you're you've got a higher track record than me. But I got some new. The old dog has a trick this week. No, 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 and 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 it makes sense. So I, yeah. I, well, we're going to have to uh, slightly agree to disagree on this. But uh, like I said, that's why we come back every Friday and we get to judge ourselves. What? What's up? We're going to bet $1, like in trading give places. We're going to give me a $1. I like it. We're going to hold We're going to hold us accountable here. Um, I think we just, let's move into the commitment of traders right now. Really interesting number was manage money or hedge funds got short and cut their long position. Now, what does this mean? People think, whoa. Stu, so, so, so this might people might think, oh Michael, this this is this bodes well for you. Manage money's getting short. No, 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 not quite. They're cutting long positions, which means you know what they're doing? Taking profit, cashing in their money. They were long at ten dollar oil. They were long at twenty dollar oil. It gets up to forty. You know what they do? Cha ching. So I mean, is forty, forty two, forty five probably the cap for? Yes. I mean, I don't think you know. I don't. I, I'm not. I don't want to put words in your mouth, Stu. But I don't think you're seeing sixty dollars. You're not saying sixty dollars oil next week. No. But hedge funds are taking some profit, but they also aren't necessarily then getting short. So you saw fifteen thousand contracts get dropped on the long side, but only three thousand get picked. Excuse me, eight thousand get picked up on the short side. So you're about double were dropped. So I mean, they're taking more of an insurance play right now. Right? What I what I tell you is they're dropping all of their long and they're just taking out a little more insurance. But the market, at least from the hedge fund side, looks oddly bullish. So that bodes well for the Kreskin and your one dollar. But like we'll see what happens. As always, that ran from last two or excuse me, last Tuesday to Tuesday. So remember, there is a four or five day gap we are missing there. Anything else U.S. oil that we're that, that I'm forgetting, Stu? I think I've covered it all here. I think you did fantastic, Michael. Awesome. So let's just go ahead and finish up with our 360 official, not official fund. As always, the lawyers make us say this so we don't get sued. This segment is for entertainment purposes only. Everybody on the show, i.e. me, Michael Tanner, and Stu Stewart Turley, we invest for our own account and do not manage any outside money. We do not give investment advice. We do not offer securities or have any involvement in the regulated side of the industry. Remember, investing is risky, and you can and will lose your entire principal. That being said, Stu, how's your side of the portfolio? going well uh i'm still in oxy for uh the short run uh i'm probably going to get out today 
but uh, my one of my favorites, uh, LNG, uh, I'm down just a little bit on that. There are some other uh, updates on uh, Henry Hub and stuff coming out this week. Uh, I am glad I got out of Devon, so I'm out. And uh, Tomcat, uh, he's playing some calls. Uh, he's he's having some fun this week. Okay, so he's getting in. I mean, we'll let Tomcat plays plays the options games great we'll have to we'll have to see how that plays out i look at my side of the portfolio i tend to stay on the commodity side i'm getting my shorts eaten on my natural gas i mean we're in at a dollar 79 for our two contracts i mean it's a dollar 68 so i mean i'm just going to continue to pound these experts who kept telling me i was going to make cash off that um but we'll see i mean i mean like i said i think 250 to 275 got natural gas in the winter's not out of the question, but that's the long-term play. So I just like uh, bugging week to week. Bonanza Creek's flat, which is sort of my other staple in the portfolio. We've had a nice little profit on that, though. Um, in terms of what I'm going to do on crude oil this week, you know, I'm I, I'm going to take out a short. I'm, I'm going to probably load up on the short side. We're forty thirteen right now. Probably let it rise up. I see like forty twenty five as my cap. So we're probably going to get in it. We're probably going to get in short at 4025, see what happens, just because I'm going to put my money where my mouth is um, and get and load up our portfolio, see if we can make a couple day trades. But in terms of my bias, yeah, I don't know. It's mixed. I like getting long at $38. I like shorting now if, if, if you, you want to ride it down. But, you know, again, have a plan. My plan is to get in at 40 out at 38 So it can be as simple and as simple as that. But I think with that, that's about all I have for the show. I think we're going to go ahead and let you get out of here and get back to work. Thank you for checking out the 360 Digital Closing. But please remember to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and Intercom's YouTube channel. We will see you guys this afternoon.